WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm. And this week, our guest is the co writer of Marvel's new series, Gamma Flight, and the writer of the upcoming Oni Press graphic novel, Cheer Up, Love and Pom Poms, Crystal Frazier. Welcome, Crystal. Hi, thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll start with the icebreaker. Uh, what, are, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Oh, wow. Uh, that's way back. Uh, so the first comics I remember reading are, you know, all the basic stuff you give four-year-olds, like <laughs> Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, uh, and also the original Mirage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because ah. my mother didn't understand that having funny animals on the cover didn't necessarily mean it was for children. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to tell people that's how I learned to swear <laughs> at four. <laughs> <laughs> Eastman and Laird's fault. <laughs> yep. Um, and realistically, I, I, it's my mother's fault, but. <laughs> uh, it's my mom's fault, too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I read an interview uh, somewhere. It might have been the one you did with uh, Danny Kinney at Women Write About Comics, where you mentioned being a Spider-Man fan uh, growing up oh. as well. Um, what, was your, what was your jumping on point there? Oh, gosh. I, I was one of those kids whose uh, comic book collection mostly came from the quarter bin, just because, okay. you know, we, we were kind of poor growing up, so I didn't have a lot of long runs. So I had, oh, gosh, I remember an issue where Spider-Man faced off against a Mysterio who had tricked Spider-Man into thinking he'd been shrunk by trapping him in a giant room. Like a giant soundstage that had been built to look like a child's bedroom. So Spider-Man spent the whole issue thinking, I've been shrunk. How do I get out of this? And then realizes Mysterio has a control booth in the, the light fixture on the ceiling. Uh, but that's, that's about the point I remember jumping on. I had a couple of earlier issues, this and that. Nothing cool like, you know, the black costume run. It was all, you know, late 80s, early 90s bits and pieces. Uh, but I remember my jumping off point for Spider-Man was uh, Maximum Clonage. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you and a have... lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I've gone back and tried to reread it as an adult, and it's, it's challenging. <laughs> you know, that Mysterio story makes me really wonder if anybody has ever thought, you know what we really need? A Mysterio versus Arcade story where each of them are doing some kind of, you know, like, which one of us can destroy this hero in our weird little prank room? Yeah, like a, like a trade-off scenario. Like, Arcade takes on Spider-Man and Mysterio takes on the, let's go with the X-Men. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Prank-based acts of vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. um, oh, so, oh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, so before we get into, you know, the meat of the interview, have you seen Black Widow yet? I have not yet, no. We, we just watched Luca and episode four of Loki over the weekend, so I'm a little behind. Okay, yeah, yeah no worries there. We shall say no more. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> episode, of, episode five of Loki is very good, by the way, and that's, that's all I'm going to say, although I'm sure oh, the internet right. has already episode, ruined the it. The newest... Whatever the newest-ish one. 
I love alligator Loki. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're caught up then. Okay. Need, okay. And the Thanos copter in the background just made I me missed so that. happy. I caught Frog Thor, but I missed the Thanos copter. Okay. See, I had the opposite experience. Frog <laughs> Thor was like blinking. You miss it for me. The Thanos copter. I I paused the TV and it was. <laughs> I, 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 I was watching with my wife and, and my and my ten year old son, and I was like, "You need to appreciate this. <laughs> this is our heritage. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a real supervillain unless you want a helicopter with your name on the side." Wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, you were writing a gamble flight with uh, Al Ewing and artist Lam Medina, which picks up the adventures of some of the supporting cast of Immortal Hulk. Um, what is, what's the, the Cliff's Notes version of how you came to this book? Uh, you, you started as a story uh, consultant on Hulk around the time of the, uh, the Zen New Arc, correct? Uh, yep, the Zen New Arc. I, uh, Al had me on because he wanted to reveal that Dr. McGowan was a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to a friend of mine, Jay Edidin, to, as, as, for sensitivity consultation. And Jay's like, well, I'm a trans man. I don't necessarily know what trans women go through why don't you talk to my friend crystal from college and i'd done this work for video games and role-playing games and fiction before but this was my first time doing it in comics and yeah al basically kind of brought me in as part of the family he had me read basically every bit of immortal hulk up until then and all the scripts he'd written that weren't uh in print yet and then his outlines for the for the books leading into the Zemdu arc. And from there, I, I guess he just liked working with me because when they decided to spin off Gamma Flight, he, he wanted to work with me as a co-writer. Uh, I, I, I'm a little ashamed of it, but I sent him my, I wrote a comic book for the Pathfinder role-playing game a few years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of weird trippy arc that looks at like how role-playing game characters die and come back from the dead all the time. And I, I guess that was his flavor of weird because he wanted to work with me. <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, given your involvement in, in kind of helping uh, Al with, with, you know, getting Charlene's voice right and everything, you know, is it, do you feel a little bit like, like she's your baby, you know, to the extent that any work for hire character can, can be someone's baby? A bit. I... I'm very proud of myself that I'm the one who suggested the Captain America mug that every trans Marvel fan seems to have latched onto and have their own version of now. I think I'm the only trans woman on Twitter who doesn't have a trans pride Captain America mug yet. Um, But I mean, Al did most of the work fleshing her out. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to trans issues, he'd obviously done a bunch of research beforehand and it was kind of nice because we got to get into some of the some of the nuanced parts of being transgender that you generally don't get to cover because you're too busy trying to go through the 101. But yeah, I I had a little bit of input in her personality. I've got a lot more input now, obviously, that I'm writing her. Sure. Uh, I think Lila Sturges had a great take on her in the Marvel Voices Pride anthology that mm-hmm. released last month. So. She's definitely a, a hybrid child. Um, and, and now you're co-parenting a, a whole book together. Uh, you know, what, what is, what's the division of labor like now that you're, you're, you're co-writing? 
Um, pretty, pretty clean down the middle, honestly. This has been one of the smoothest collaborative efforts I've had on any project. Uh, we, we do video chats to kind of work out the main plotting, uh, take turns back and forth, uh, coming up with a page-by-page -page outline. Usually one of us will kind of flesh in chunks and then pass it to the other. And that person will refine it a little, like what if we did this here and this here and it plays out here. And you know, then the next issue, the whoever didn't take the first shot last time takes it this time. And mm -hmm. then we more or less divvy up the pages 50-50 and then pass them back and forth for more revisions. Uh, I mean, Al, Al's way more experienced at this, so he does a lot more like revision, revising and, and making sure everything's canon. And I feel like I've got a good handle for, for emotional scenes and character interactions. So I tend to have the, the final word and things like that, that scene with Absorbing Man and Titania being all adorable. <laughs> it, it, speaking of those emotional moments there's one real gut punch of a moment in that first issue where samson is talking to charlene and he completely steps you know oh, take yes. large hairy gamma foot <laughs> insert large hairy gamma foot into larger ha hairy gamma <laughs> mouth about a statement about bodies feeling unnatural and expecting her to understand and but that got me to scratch my head because if there's one person on that team who possibly would have a feeling of his body being unnatural, it's Puck, who had gone through a transformation from, you know, normal, his normal body in World War I down to his Puck form. And is there anything in what you're looking at that might deal with some of Samson and his understanding of his body and Puck and his, or is that just me being a giant continuity <laughs> nerd and seeing like, ah, I part see a connection. Part of it's being a continuity nerd. Uh, we also kind of wanted to stay away from the idea of uh, dwarfism as a curse. I mean, that's canon, mm. but we, we wanted to sort of avoid associating, you know, any, any birth conditions or atypical body structures with being something, you know, cursed or holding you back. Uh, so it's, it's something mm -hmm. we treated with light gloves in the story. Originally, we talked about it a little more with him relating to uh, Rick and Dell, mm. but yeah, uh, Will and Sarah, I believe, were the ones who were like, oh, maybe we should revise this, so. The, um, the scene where Puck is, is trying to help Dell slash Rick play uh, video games, which is interesting because Puck, you know, <laughs> spent, noted Spanish Civil War <laughs> veteran. Uh, <laughs> Puck Puck's trying a to... genius, though. Fair, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, that was, that was a nice scene. Um, you know, I, it, it's funny. Actually, uh, we, we already mentioned uh, Absorbing Man and Titania. Uh, I just finished reading uh, Solid and Ahmed and Christian Ward's Black Bolt series. So... Nice. This this felt like you know obviously there's all of Immortal Hulk in between there, yeah. but it, it felt like a nice you know continuation uh, given my you know patchy reading to to pick the, those character those two characters up again with Gamma Flight uh, you know it, it is it's amazing how these these you know two two bit superpower crooks have become. <laughs> 
such good good characters yeah uh, they're yeah i think because they're crooks and not a-list crooks people people haven't really cared about messing with the dynamic with them they're just sort of always a pair and it's it's just accepted so nobody wants to get in there and have like titania secretly replaced by a shapeshifter to give absorbing man like drama they're just allowed to exist in that that nuptial space and i love it absolutely <laughs> uh you know to, to the point where we got a proposal <laughs> uh. <laughs> even though they've been married for 20 years <laughs> i mean but, and the adamantium ring is a, a brilliant <laughs> touch yeah yeah we we wanted a way to explain that this was a really old hideout without just you know, giving more exposition dump because this is a very exposition heavy issue. And there's, if you look, there's actually a scene with uh, Absorbing Man playing on an old classic Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> there was another, yeah, that's right. No, was it the end of Black Bolt? I, I'm, there's another page where Titania is playing. <laughs> Yeah. All right. This is the wrong time for me to be blanking. <laughs> Matt, bail me out, buddy. <laughs> um, you you also wrote Titania in your story for the Marvel Pride anthology. Um, well, a little more classically villainous in that she's throwing down with her, well, at least who she thinks is her arch foe, and then tur turns another way and winds up having a lovely moment. Um, how was... Uh, writing that story and working with Jeff, Jethro Morales. Uh, that was honestly a really smooth, a really smooth project. Uh, I mean, Jeff was great about artistic feedback. The only, the only problem we had, ironically, was the takeout container because when I was living in New York City, halal chicken came in a very specific type of of foil container mm -hmm. and now in new york city apparently it just comes in those standard uh, foam clamshells and and he's never been to new york city and didn't know what either one of those was <laughs> so it was a a big game of telephone between sarah brunstad and i and jeff all like trying to figure out what how to explain this one thing that was being thrown <laughs> i think that was the biggest hiccup we had in the uh in the whole process Oh, that's interesting. Um, now, uh, when it comes to to Lila writing Charlene in that same uh, anthology, uh, the the story with Electra, uh, you know, did did she kind of pick your brain at all, or or you know, had that been like when the book came out, uh, you know, a surprise, like oh, she did a Charlene story, that's great. <laughs> she did come to me and be like, I want to write the story about Charlene, and I know you didn't for this anthology. I, is it okay? Can I do this with your blessing? And I thought that was adorable because, I mean, like you said earlier, this is a work for hire character. We, none of us really own it. And she's been evolved through at this point, like two writers and at least two different editors. And now with Lila, three different writers. But yeah, she, she came to me when she started the writing process and picked my brain a little bit, but she already had a solid grasp of the character. She had like the the outline for the script already already done and yeah. <laughs> Lila's an absolute peach and is great to work with, so absolutely. Um 
besides, you know, it being a shorter story, obviously, mm-hmm. how does, you know, or does it all the, the editorial process differ when you're writing for one of the, the cultural anthologies that Marvel's been doing of late versus, you know, a regular monthly comic? Um, I mean, I would say there's less pressure for it to be strictly canon. It's uh, Sarah, Sarah Brunstadt, the editor, mm-hmm. was more like, I consider these canon, you know, so long as they don't directly contradict anything. So it's default okay. canon, and but it's okay if they contradict anything. Um, but it was, you know, a little less weight of research. Like, I didn't know, need to know exactly where Titania was at that moment. Like, she was mm-hmm. on Gamma Flight in a space station, ostensibly, when that story was being told. So it was mm-hmm. okay for her to also be in New York City. Teleporters, they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And she was in her old costume instead of her Gamma Flight costume. Right. Which, I just like the old costume. <laughs> That's a good costume. More people should have shoulder spikes. I agree. I Titania is one of my favorite villains growing up. So, I'm gonna say I I really appreciate the narrative of scrawny kid everybody makes fun of is suddenly given superpowers instead of stepping up to to be their best self is kind of a petty jerk about the whole thing. There's some some wish fulfillment there. <laughs> <laughs> Just Matt, were you also thinking what I was spikes. thinking? Shoulder spikes? About shoulder Who else has shoulder spikes? Um, aside from Strife. Um. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Right, so Titania, you know, is from Secret Wars, right? So she shows up in the 80s. That was a big period for shoulder spikes. Yeah. Because you got to think, you had the Legion of Doom in WWF. You mm. had Mad Max. Uh, you had, um, you had Guar. Oh, yeah. Shoulder spikes were everywhere. <laughs> but not so much in comic costumes, really. No, that's fair. Strife, yeah. but Strife had spikes on everything. <laughs> Some artists draw Batman with sort of swoopy. Like, yeah. The Howard Porter. I, that was more Kelly Azrael, Jones. though. Oh, Azrael definitely. Oh, Azrael <laughs> definitely did. But I mean, in Ke- saying Kelly Jones draws spiky shoulders is like saying I mean, he's Kelly Jones. There's spikes everywhere on his long, angular Batman. <laughs> I was gonna say it's not. It's not necessarily there's spikes. It's that there are sharp edges. Lots of sharp edges on Batman, yeah. <laughs> um, now, in in terms of uh, you know talking about pride, you know what about um, kind of recruiting for that book? You know, did Marvel come to you because you were already in their orbit and say, "Hey, would you like to contribute to this?" Or is this and this is my own sort of weird head canon that's probably not at all true? Uh, a metaphorical bulletin board somewhere on Marvel's intranet that's got a flyer that says "Creator sought for Pride Anthology" next to one for free guitar lessons with those little tabs at the bottom you pull off and they've got the phone numbers. On. Oh no, I I wish it was that. I am I am not deep enough in Marvel circles to be part of any bulletin boards or communication networks. Uh, no, they they actually came to me for a slightly different Pride anthology they'd wanted to do last year. Mm. Uh, so this was just after the the story with Dr. McGowan came out and I'd I'd sent that same the same writing that I'd done for the Pathfinder comic to Sarah and Will and you know trying to drum up some writing work and Sarah liked it enough that she was planning different queer anthology back then and asked me to write for it and as far as I know, I was the only book or only story for it that was completed before the project got shelved and they started 
looking for something to put my story in. They were thinking maybe like the back of an issue of Hulk that's a little more lighthearted or runs short or maybe an old an issue of, of Avengers. And then end of last year, Sarah's like, oh, we're going to do the anthology after all. So, And was there a similar pitching kind of thing for the uh, DC Love is a Battlefield anthology for DC? Uh, there was. I I went to, so yeah, a friend of mine is friends of a friend's with Katie Kubert, and, you know, I sent her some writing samples, uh, emailed to make sure it was okay, uh, and she asked if I wanted to chip in a Wonder Woman story on this, this Love is a Battlefield book, uh, asked me to put together a couple of pitches. I... My, the pitch I really wanted to do was Wonder Woman dog sitting, but it wasn't quite in theme with Valentine's Day. So ended up with like uh, this standard superhero goes on a date and it goes horribly awry shenanigans. But, but you, you, you did have the Blue Snowman, which is a <laughs> delightful villain. I love Blue Snowman. <laughs> so... Uh... Let's, let's move on to Cheer Up, uh, your Oni Press graphic novel, out August 11th, uh, the book that Comics XF writer Zoe Tunnel called her favorite book of the year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I will read the solicit text real quick for the listeners. Uh, Annie is a smart antisocial lesbian starting her senior year of high school who's under pressure to join the cheerleading squad to make friends and round out her college applications. Her former friend Bibi is a people pleaser, a trans girl who must keep her parents happy with her grades and social life to maintain their support of her transition. Through the rigors of squad training and amped up social pressure, not to mention microaggressions and other queer youth problems, the two girls rekindle a friendship they thought they'd lost and discover there may be other, sweeter feelings springing up between them. So, what is the origin of this project? Uh, so this is a young adult romantic graphic novel, which is about as far removed from Immortal Hulk as you can get. <laughs> now for something completely different, yes. <laughs> yes, there is, there is no body horror beyond the normal feelings of being a transgender teenager or a teenager in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's very few superpowers. Uh, there's more ice cream, which I feel like is a bonus. <laughs> Uh, and we do have 50% more snake birds. Uh, but Cheer Up is, like, the the inspiration for it just was something that came into my head randomly on a very long escalator one day at a convention. Mm. Uh, I was just riding down the escalator and realized, like, I haven't seen a queer cheerleading story in ages, and wouldn't it be cute if there were a trans girl on a cheerleading squad and she fell in love with a teammate and they had a happy ending because you never see happy endings for trans characters. Mm-hmm. So uh, that idea just kind of stuck in my head for a while. And a couple of weeks later, uh, after Amy Chu introduced me to some editors at Oni and they asked for pitches, I'm like, well, I've had this random idea floating around in my head. What if cheerleaders but kissing? <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, yes, do that. Am I missing any of them in between, but I'm a cheerleader and here? <laughs> no, okay. there's, really, there's really nothing between, but I'm a cheerleader and this. I mean, there, there might've been an episode of Glee. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. Was there a gay cheerleader on Glee? There, there was a lesbian cheerleader likely. couple on Glee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then there's Glee. Yeah. I didn't I didn't actually watch Glee, so I do. Nor did I, so I'm, I'm But even that's ten, even that's ten years old. Uh, you know, 
plus. Yeah. So it had Steven Tobolowski, which it is- did. Everything is better with Tobo. <laughs> I see you're another fan of the Tobolowski files. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I, I do like that the pitch meeting sounds like it was shorter than the escalator ride that birthed this uh, birthed this OGA. It honestly was. Like, where, where was this escalator? Never, Which uh, con? <laughs> uh, Seattle Convention Center. Uh, okay. But it, I don't know, it might have been PAX. It might have been Seattle Comic Con. It might have been, I don't know, there's so many conventions there. Emerald City? And I, I work in the game industry, so I'm always there for something. Okay. I, but yeah there's this incredibly long escalator that goes from basically the first floor to the fourth floor. And it's like a two minute escalator ride. (laughs) Yeah. Then there's my East coast impatience coming through. It's like, I could not do that. I would be running (laughs) up and down that damn thing. You You know, I would. No, I know you would. (laughs) Oh, we're more laid back out here on the West coast. (laughs) Oh man. So uh, how did you uh, get connected with uh, Val Wise, your, your artist on this project? Oh, uh, our original editor on Cheer Up, uh, Ari Yarwood, uh, mm-hmm. ended up, I mean, she loved my pitch. She wanted to, to put like a good artist on it who had kind of a, a cute, endearing style. Mm-hmm. I mentioned some artists that I liked and they were all out of our price range, but she went out and scoured the various art portfolio websites and came back with an array of of creators and I just fell in love with some sample comic pages on Val's page and it turned out he was also trans so that just kind of felt like kismet (laughs) and then it turned out working with Val was just amazing he is professional and fast and talented and like great about giving detailed feedback like not shy about saying something when he feels like there's a problem or something we should worry about or, or a story conflict. So it was a, a really nice process. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed his, uh, his, his facial work and his character acting uh, in the book. That, w- that was great. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about, uh, you know, sort of uh, queer cheerleaders in, in, in media, but, uh, you know, w- was cheerleading something that you had had direct experience with at any point or just something you were curious about as a story engine? Uh, Not personally. I was very goth in high school. And (laughs) so cheerleading was not really on my radar at the time, but Mm -hmm. I had several friends on the cheerleading team. It was a very, I don't know if this is atypical or or if TV has just lied to me all these years, but (laughs) most of the members of the cheerleading squad were fairly nice, somewhat geeky girls. They were a bunch of my friends and cool people came from very diverse backgrounds and we tried to reflect things like that in uh in cheer up where we've got you know a big variation in body types and Mm -hmm. ethnicity and heights and just kind of have a bunch of lovable weirdos gathered together on this team um one of the Twitter questions we got uh, from a regular, regular question asker, Asma Fangirl, she wanted to know uh, if, whether you had a, a favorite uh, cheer routine or, or you know, one of their moves that you found more impressive uh, as you were putting this book together. I mean, now that I've done the research and watched the training videos, anything involving aerial work is just mind-blowing. Now, it's like everybody watches 
complex things and it's and think oh i could do that no problem but once you actually learn a little bit about the process like everybody everybody looks at a potter's wheel and like i could totally throw a pot <laughs> but the second you sit down and start working with the clay you're like mm -hmm. how does anybody do this and it's I feel the same way about cheerleading now, especially anything that involves hurtling people up eight or 10 feet in the air. Um, in, in, in researching for this book, uh, how deep did you get into the uh, bring it on direct-to-video sequel uh, verse? <laughs> I, I've still not seen bring it on actually. I rewatched, but I'm a cheerleader and I okay. watched a bunch of training videos, uh, a bunch of, uh, they're basically, I don't know, PR for cheerleading, talking okay. about like how great and important and team building cheerleading is. And it's, it's all very like corporate sales pitch, but also kind of important to get into the headspace of like coaches and organizers, which ended up not being a thing because it didn't end up being a lot, very much of a sports book. Mm -hmm. Originally there was going to be more competition in it as well, but then we got, we found out we only had 128 pages to work with and like, I'd rather tell the story about the kissing and you know, the being awkward and the crying mm -hmm. than, I, than I do about sports competitions. Absolutely, no, no, the feelings <laughs> and the kissing are the reason for the season, the, the, yep. the, there you go. <laughs> and the cool band. <laughs> Did you ever watch the TV show Leverage? I love Leverage. There was the cheerleading episode of, of yep. Leverage in the last season. <laughs> that, uh, my wife and I have been rewatching Leverage and watching the new <laughs> episodes that just dropped. Uh, we, we've already gone through all eight episodes in three days. Oh, I didn't so, realize those were out already. Yeah, they, the first eight dropped on Friday. Oh my and, God, is there more cheerleading in them? No, alas. Oh. <laughs> no, but, but there is some wonderful, delightful <laughs> Leveragey hijinks. So, oh, two thumbs up. <laughs> Very nice. So uh, we, we, we talked uh, when we were talking about Gamma Flight about, uh, you know, I think Carl holding a, uh, a, an old school Game Boy and, and whatnot. Every once in a while, I'll find a detail in a book that I fixate on, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the plot. And there's a scene where, where Annie and, and BB are, are playing video games and holding what are clearly GameCube controllers. Uh, was that something Val wanted to draw or was that a niche detail that you two discussed? That's, that's something I asked for specifically ah. uh, because, I mean, a lot of, okay, so the weird thing is after we met, Val and I found out we grew up within, I think, 20 miles of each other in the same, like, Gulf Coast region of Florida. Okay. The book was just set in, like, generic middle America. And then we thought, well, we both know this place and we both grew up as trans kids here. So let's set the book in Gulf Coast, Florida and basically make it reflect the, the people we knew, the people we were back then. Uh, and one of the very distinct memories I have growing up as a poor trans kid in uh, Gulf Coast, Florida was my game systems always being like 10 years out of date with everyone else's. So it... For me, it felt important for one of the kids to have like this very outdated game system that she still loved and played. <laughs> and BB, we established BB is kind of upper middle class and Annie is not poor, but definitely working class. 
so yeah, yeah, I specifically asked for a GameCube controller in there. <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are they playing in your own personal story Bible for that scene? Oh, it's, it's definitely Mario Kart. Uh, I can't remember, was it Double Dash on the GameCube? Ah, it might be. I, was, I wasn't into the, the Mario Kart on the GameCube. I was into the Mario Party. I know that. I played a lot of Mario Party 4. Yeah, but it was... I, I mean, you can't say Mario specifically. No, no, of course not. Sue your pants off, but <laughs> yeah. it was Cario Karts. <laughs> Cario Mart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there, there, are, there are plenty of stories about, you know, two very different people who become friends when thrown into shared circumstances. Uh, but, and, and I'll be honest, this was just a phrase in my notes that, I, I'm coming back. I, I came back to like three days later and not 100% remembering why I wrote it. But apparently in my initial reading, uh, all I wrote was 21 Jump Street vibes, which, which right, right, exactly. You're, you're right to be puzzled. Uh, you know, it's not even a question, uh, even though I read it like one. Uh, so let me rephrase here. You know, what are some of your favorite examples of uh you know enemies to friends or or enemies to lovers uh in fiction oh hmm. okay this is gonna sound weird but i adore the like the tortured enemy love relationship between leonardo and karai in the ninja turtles comics okay, okay. Mm. uh i'm a, a giant ninja turtles fan uh, that is that is one of my end goals as a writer. I'm, it's never going to happen because Sophie Campbell is amazing at her job. But mm -hmm. um, oh gosh, there's got to be Pitch Perfect, sort of. Except they never they never kiss in Pitch Perfect. Okay. They, there's there's never that lesbian kiss that you know they want so badly. Mm -hmm. um, but. Oh, I know I've got good examples. I'm just completely blanking on them. <laughs> it's, it's a, I mean, honestly, Enemies to Lovers is a very broad... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Does, paralyzed by choice does there. Goku and Vegeta count? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I know nothing about they, Dragon they, Ball. There, so. are <laughs> there, are, there are moments of tension. I, I remember working in the comic shop and you just leave on Cartoon Network and the number of times I saw the same period... <laughs> The Cell Saga of Dragon Ball Z just played over and over again. Like, oh, and I, I'd, you know, I, I'd work three days a week during the week, and I would come in the next week. It's like, oh, right, this, you know, the, the same fight still going on. Yep. yep. The, uh, the most I, I was ever engaged with Dragon Ball Z, I worked at a Sam Goody, Kids Ask Your Parents, uh, <laughs> And I would have to arrange the VHS cassettes. I'm, I'm aging by the second. Also, now. kids ask your parents. Yeah, exactly. And there was like one shelf of Dragon Ball Z VHS cassettes. And on the side, there was like, do you, you, do you need to talk connect about Ronald Reagan real quick? I don't. Nope. <laughs> Knockdown, do it. All right, now I'm doing Jana Covey's push impressions. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm there <laughs> I am now but dust. Um, yeah, there was like a connecting picture on the spines of all the, the, the VHS cassettes. And I used to see if I could get the picture to form, even though, you know, I knew nothing of what the hell I was looking at. Just spiky haired blonde people yelling uh, with lines coming off of them. But, uh... ah, yeah, there we go. Next question. Um... 
I can I can also say I took a lot from I I was a I'm not a huge anime fan overall, but I watched a lot of Ranma one half in high school, basically mm-hmm. as wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. and. So a big chunk of my writing style is how would I do Ranma except people have basic communication skills? <laughs> That's always a nice touch because comic characters don't often have big basic no, communication skills. I mean, how many years did the X-Men go without understanding what a phone was? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we are both regular listeners, Jay and Miles. We understand the, the X-Men's inability to use a phone and that Shinobi Shaw doesn't know what sex is. <laughs> No, no, he yeah. definitely knows what it is, but he needs <laughs> you to tell him so that he knows that you know. <laughs> oh, God, that is the best running gag ever on a podcast. But uh, <laughs> um, we love good back matter. And uh, Cheer Up comes with recipes, which yes. is, is super fun. Um, I'm not going to spoil what they are, but uh, were these uh, recipes from your personal collection? You know, how did they kind of come uh, into the shape of the whole thing? Yes, they are. They are from my personal stock. Uh, one of them is specifically an old family recipe. Mm. Well, old-ish, but passed down through the generations. Uh, the other is uh, the town I grew up in was specifically known for its strawberries. So oh. being able to prepare strawberry desserts is like a, like a basic thing. It's what they teach you in home ec in middle school. So those are the other one is the the recipe I developed in middle school, I want to say, and just, you know, make as my default. Yeah, I think I'm going to try that one later. Actually, that one had my mouth uh, watering. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so uh, before we, we started the uh, recording, you had mentioned uh, there were two projects and you were surprised to figure out which one you could and could not curse in. Oh, yes. Uh, so the... The joke I like to tell is I'm I'm working on a body horror story for 20-somethings mm. and a romance novel for 13-year-old girls. And you're su- you'd be surprised which one I'm allowed to say bitch in. <laughs> it's, the, it's the romance novel say, for 13-year-old girls, isn't it? <laughs> it's the romance novel for 13-year-old girls. Uh, yeah, Marvel is very careful about swearing. Uh, apparently swearing makes Spider-Man cry. <laughs> But I understand that they're a major, you know, they're a major entertainment company these days. So they have Mm -hmm. to be very cautious about what they say in print. Uh, But Oni is just like, yeah, we've heard how 13-year-olds talk. (laughs) Because there's there's an exchange where one of the girls is like, yeah, we've been kind of bitchy to each other. Mm -hmm. So you talked briefly before about uh, writing a comic based off of Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is to this day still one of my favorite systems. I, I still run. It's it's been a, a while, but I ran a Pathfinder holiday adventure back in Christmas of 2019, where my characters fought a Krampus. Um, it, it was fun because Krampus was in the last bestiary. Um, uh, how long have you been? And you work in the the gaming industry. How long have you been playing different RPGs? Oh, gosh. Uh, Okay, so I tried multiple times to get into gaming, and I finally succeeded when I was 14. So, 1990. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I wasn't expecting, you know, I was sort of just, Uh, I I figured I was 
ballparking here. I, yeah, I know better been, than ask anyone their age. <laughs> I've been gaming since my, my mid-teens when I stumbled across an ad for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness role-playing game in a catalog that had nothing to do with role-playing games. And I thought, well, this is a game about Ninja Turtles, and I love Ninja Turtles, but you don't need a, it doesn't come with a board or anything else. How does that even work? You can make your own characters? What? So I, I saved up my allowance. I sent away for it. Uh, it came back and it was just a book and I felt kind of cheated. And then I, I read through it and I fell in love. And then I was like, oh, this is that Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> thing that I've been trying to get into. Because prior to that, I've been... Uh, you know, I, I watched the Dungeons and Dragons game, uh, not game, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon when I was a little kid on Saturday mornings, and I thought, this looks amazing. So, like, it was in the back of my head that D&D &D was a thing. And then in my junior high, there was a D&D &D club, and I tried to join, and the teacher wouldn't let me because I, he thought I was too gay, and it would be, you know, inappropriate. I, I was a very effete child <laughs> in the South. Uh, and after that, I found at a garage sale, a book that said Dungeons and Dragons on it. And I thought, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to figure out how to play Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't understand it was a novel based on Dungeons and Dragons. So I read through the whole thing and I'm like, this makes, I mean, it's, it's an adventure story, but where does, where, where do you like, make decisions uh but it was it was like the middle of the Dragonlance saga so i had no idea who any of these characters were or anything like that uh and so yeah that was my third and final attempt was successful when i ordered that ninja turtles book not knowing it was dungeons and dragons and from that i grew to you know gosh heroes unlimited and rifts and dnd &D and shadow run and hero system and face rip and <sighs> a little bit of everything well, that nicely answers my next question about games <laughs> Sorry, played little... no marvelous <laughs> that, i i love it when the, the guest gets ahead of me uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love proactive answer <laughs> yep and then and then some pathfinder along the way that i i've worked on for 10 years <laughs> little. Uh, and, and I, you contributed to uh van richten's the most recent uh D D uh source book that dropped uh yes the van richten's guide to ravenloft uh yeah my friend uh wes schneider works over at watsy the whole game industry is this tight knit little it's basically 30 people we know each other <laughs> we we love and hate each other uh but yeah he knows that i was a big fan of ravenloft so when he started working on the book he, he asked if I wanted to contribute because he knows I do creepy weird very well. Mm. Uh, that, so, that, that's Ravenloft. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he specifically had me work on the carnival and originally there was going to be an adventure included that ended up having to get cut because that's what happens to books. Uh, but I'm told the adventure still exists. They're planning on using it in the future. I just don't know when. And are you still are you still playing now? Have have you been able to play find ways to play through the pandemic? Uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, Fifth Edition, mm -hmm. but not a lot of Pathfinder since Second Edition came out. I just haven't really had the time to sit down and read a yeah. six hundred page brick of a rule book. Same. 
Uh, so, but yeah, I've been playing playing fifth edition D and D. I've got a a cleric who has joined so many cults to undermine them <laughs> that he's basically completely lost his mind. Thinks everything is a conspiracy. Has no idea which god he worships. <laughs> problem for a cleric yeah but it works out fine he's married to a fish now it's the fish consented so it's fine yeah it's very complicated oh yeah no Uh, no, i I also play a a kobold a civil engineer her class is technically barred but she's way more concerned about like structural integrity than she is about magic ravnica Hanging out in Ravnica or Eberron? Uh, Those are the kind of worlds I figure with civil engineering. No, it's a it's a third party. Ah. Uh, it's a third party setting created by RPG Tunes mm. on uh, on Twitter. But it's yeah, just patreon.com slash RPG Tunes and they've mm. got a uh gosh. I don't know if this setting has a name. I haven't bought the books because I'm not the GM in this campaign and ah. I don't want to get a bunch of spoilers. <laughs> that but makes sense. Yeah, it's pretty delightful. We we accidentally awoke a giant turtle god who destroyed the city. <laughs> like you do. It happens. Yeah. And then now there's gator folk. <laughs> as Jeez. one would expect to happen. Yeah, I, I'm just... Uh, we're starting. I'm not... DMing currently, and we're doing a sort of tinkered fifth edition that my our current DM did, where we're st- we, our character started out pre first level. We're sort of at a zero uh-huh. level where we were just mm-hmm. sort of city folk, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm the the itinerant teacher, very Ichabod Crane sort of vibe, uh, who uh, I. I rolled both one incredibly high stat and one incredibly low stat. So, and four, you know, nice middling ones. So I, I'm incredibly intelligent, but flat out, the character has wooden leg because his dex is a six. Oh, wow. Yeah. I rolled a six and a 16 and then a 10, 10, 11, 11. Um, but we're about to go up to first level Knockwood. We all can make it on Thursday. And I'm one of our, one of my buddies who spends his work day when not working, looking at random RPG stuff online, uh, found a really good homebrew class for the character, um, a savant, which is basically an int based, uh, sort of rogue, but you know, Mm-hmm. kind of more roguish than because it's not a magic user but it's it's everything is int based and uh when you when you hit third level you get your area of study and i'm flat out going indiana jones i'm going archaeologist <laughs> it belongs in a museum it's gonna be fun <laughs> yep i I really appreciate how flexible fifth edition is and how easy it is to recolor just about everything because it's it's not super detailed. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to go back after playing 5th edition for a couple of years and just do one, a one-off of Pathfinder and be like, wow, we've still got, we got a lot of math. It's like, wow, I need a feet to swing on a chandelier? Huh. Yeah, and 5th edition's all flavor. And yep. I, I, I have to admit, 
even as someone who who likes to do the math it's like no the the this is a lot easier yeah i didn't realize how much i'd missed that from ad and d yeah um, I can't say you... as I miss Thaco, but... No, no <laughs> nobody does! <laughs> um, do, do you find that gaming helps you with character development in, in other mediums? Uh, you know, the comics, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think gaming is a great tool for sort of getting into characters' heads and understanding what they can do. Uh, before I started writing Gamma Flight, I actually sat down and made character sheets for all of the main characters in uh, Mutants and Masterminds, which is a superhero role-playing game. And just to kind of suss out, like, gonna be a little bit stronger than everyone else by this much, but uh, I can bump up uh, Absorbing Man's, you know, stats to this if I absorb the right material. And Leonard is this easy to hit pretty much all the time, but it's hard to take him down permanently. And yeah, just kind of worked through what everybody's roles would be in a fight because that's the hardest thing for me to write. Mm-hmm. Just figuring out the flow of combat. I, I like that because it reminds me of like the old uh, Marvel Universe uh, trading card series where they would put mm-hmm. you know people's stats <laughs> on the back, and so you found out that Aunt May was a level one energy caster or, or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Aunt May, more psychic than you think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still not very psychic, but... <laughs> yeah, she, she always knew something was wrong with Peter. She just didn't know what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intuition zero, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing a good stack of wheat cakes couldn't fix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we have a semi-regular segment of the show where we ask creators about their pets. Uh Please tell us about your dogs. <laughs> uh, well, I have two corgis. Uh, they're they're both mostly Pembroke no, corgis. Uh, we we know one. Our our youngest is Adamant. She's a tricolor. Uh, we adopted her from a working farm out in eastern Washington that specifically raises corgis to work on the farm, mm. uh, and she is energetic and i mean we want to say she's stupid but mostly she's just very smart in very specific ways Mm. she doesn't care so much about what other people think so she's been very difficult to train but she's very good at getting into things and figuring things out that she wants to pull apart uh she's also you're sure she's not a cat in a corgi costume? <laughs> I think she's a goblin in a corgi costume. <laughs> and our our older dog is Calamity, which she ended up being very aptly named. We we adopted her from a rescue. Uh, don't really know anything about her parentage, but she's had just every health problem you can imagine for a corgi. Oh. She she dislocated both of her knees when she was still a puppy and had to have surgery on both of them. Uh, she's got hip dysplasia. She's got cancer now. She's, she's got pancreatitis. Just everything that can go wrong. This poor little dog has survived. But she is the sweetest, most affectionate, just most vocal. Not necessarily barking, but like, little vocalizations 
Like I've I've never had a dog who was so good about communicating what she wanted and being <laughs> like coming up to you and demanding to be petted and <laughs> she is just a brilliant dog. I've I've never knew dogs could be this smart. She picks up new she picks up new tricks in no time. She figures out, you know, how to game systems in no time. Uh, <laughs> at one point, we were trying to convince her, like, every time you go into your crate, because we were crate training her, we will give you a cookie. So she would jump into the crate, go out, wait for her cookie, go into the crate, come back out, go in, go out, go in, go out, <laughs> and look at us like she knows she's racked up a tally. <laughs> so... Those are our pets. <laughs> uh, I, uh, as as regular listeners of the show know, I, I have two miniature dachshunds <laughs> whom I love very much. Oh, but uh, I, I, lo- I love me some corgi. I, I you well, know, dogs I, I, have attitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, on the other hand, my, my wife and I are, are very much cat people. You said <laughs> if we ever would get a dog, corgis are high up there because of those hypnotic little legs. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're just you have to go in knowing they are really smart and they have they have a disproportionate amount of attitude they are basically travel-sized german shepherds mm. so they they are that active they are that smart and they are they are that willing to screw with you if they get bored <laughs> okay so th- so there is some cat in there but there's way more activity <laughs> at yeah. least compared to my i mean granted our cats are both very old at this point late middle age not very old but even back when Bess was younger she was still not uh, she she was a i will spend 12 <laughs> hours on your lap human they are not nowhere near that patient yeah uh, <laughs> adamant ada will steal blankets off the bed she'll just climb up on the mattress grab a blanket pull it down onto the floor with her. Calamity, this is the story we like to tell to tell everybody what corgis are really like. Uh, When she was a puppy and we were still housebreaking her, she figured out, well, if I pee, they drop whatever they're doing to clean it up. Mm -hmm. And so when we sat down for lunch one day, she walks into the middle of the living room in front of us and pees in the middle of the rug. So we put our plates down, you know, jump down, clean it up. We turn around. She's eating off of our plates. <laughs> Diabolical. <laughs> that right? is yikes. That's yeah. gangsta. <laughs> Corgis are evil masterminds. Yeah, that's wow. Like, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed. I mean, granted, my pets are dumb as stumps. I mean, (laughs) Bess runs into glass doors that she knows are there and are a barrier because she dumb. (laughs) She's sweet. She lovable. She dumb. Sounds like a cocker spaniel. (laughs) Which is very different. And Cal isn't much better, but it's very different than Felix, who was our cat before them, who was an evil mastermind. He, he he was an evil mastermind, and he could be kind of a jerk. When he wasn't getting the attention he wanted, oh, he could be a... This is something I never experienced, but when people would stay over before my wife, because he was my wife's cat before mm-hmm. she was my wife, before she was my girlfriend. And if she was having company and she would shut the bedroom door, 
So, because <laughs> the company would not want to be with the cat. The apartment she lived in had those cabinets that if you open them, they would swing shut. Mm-hmm. He would walk up to them, get a paw under, hook, slam. Hook, slam. <laughs> hook, slam. All night. Wow. Yeah. Evil mastermind. I miss that big chubby boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's what we learned today. Pets can be evil. Um. <laughs> but we love them anyway. Uh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, the bigger the ears, the evil or the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what are you reading right now? Oh, uh, gosh. At any given point, I am halfway through so many different books. Can I just go get my bedside stack and hold them <laughs> up to the camera? <laughs> um, so I'm rereading Kurt Busiek's 90s Avengers run. Ah, okay, uh, okay. Which has been, I mean, I shouldn't say rereading. I'm reading it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been enjoying it. Uh, I'm reading Great Lakes Water Wars, which is a history of water rights in uh, Central America. Mm-hmm. No, Central. In Middle North America. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, based on the title of the book, you'd think pirates, but no, it's water rights, and they're fascinating. <laughs> um, what else? I, oh, this is going to sound weird, but all right, my wife made me watch Romancing the Stone for the first time just a couple of months ago, okay. and I loved it, and I thought maybe I haven't been giving the bodice ripper genre like the credit <laughs> it's due. So I picked up a bodice ripper called A uh, Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem, and I've been trying to read it with all my heart, but it's it's not my favorite. It, the, the sentences are tortured like they think they hold state secrets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so it's it's been a challenge. I don't know that I'm going to finish that one. <laughs> but the important thing is you tried. <laughs> I did try. Uh, I've been reading a great guide to urban legends, cryptids, and like mythical people of florida because i've been (laughs) traveling to and from florida a lot this summer Mm -hmm. uh but what else i've picked up thirsty sword lesbians the role-playing game and i've been reading through that (laughs) um yeah i'm bad at just sticking to one book and following it all the way through (laughs) uh i'm rereading the first collection of the idw ninja turtles the they're releasing these nice big hardcover collector's sets. Mm-hmm. I just got volume four. Nice. I've my collection is kind of interspersed. So. All right. Well, uh, Crystal, uh, this has been a lot of fun. It's been an hour. Uh, final <laughs> question: uh, mm-hmm. How can people follow you online and keep up with uh, Gamma Flight and Cheer Up and everything else that you have going on? Oh, uh, well, easiest way to find me online is on Twitter. I am Amazon Chic. Uh, that's A M A Z O N C H I Q U E. Besides that, I think I have an artist or an author page on Facebook, but obviously I don't update it very well. <laughs> um, and I, I have I have not had the time to figure out the other the other socials media. <laughs> All right. Well, Crystal, thank you so Um, much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a great time. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism. 
at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one time Pete Wisdom stopped the vampire invasion from the moon. W-N-Q-A.